Hey, Emily, good to be talking to you today. Um, and since you uh, wrote a book called The Oil Wars Myth, I want to start by asking you a question. Uh, is the war in Ukraine an oil war? Thanks, Emma. It's great to be talking with you. And I should say, speaking for myself, not for the Navy or DOD, uh, it really depends on how we define oil war. Uh, if we mean, did Russia go to war in order to seize Ukraine's oil? Uh, then no, this isn't an oil war. Ukraine's oil is not an appealing target for Russia. Its oil reserves are much smaller than Russia's. And even if it gains control over Ukraine's oil, it won't be able to profitably exploit it because of intense local resistance and international sanctions. And actually, Russia's made itself a lot worse off from an oil perspective than it was be uh, before the war. Because in addition to not getting Ukraine's oil, it's having a harder time selling its own oil. Um, so this isn't an oil war in the sense of international oil grab. Um, that being said, if oil war means Putin is using oil, Russia's oil revenue to finance the war, maybe I have a different answer, but I'm guessing that you also have one based on the book that you uh, recently wrote. Yeah, so um, you so your your book focuses on as as you say that that um, notion that states go to war to seize oil. Um, my new book, which is Oil, the State, and War, um, focuses on basically all the other ways that oil can shape conflict. Um, so you know. Do states use their oil revenues to build up their militaries? And in the case of Russia, we've seen this quite extensively over the last couple of decades that the Kremlin has used oil revenues to, to build up the military. I mean, obviously, they have not been entirely successful given the, the state of the Russian military today, but they've been able to use those revenues quite effectively to buy new equipment. Um, and then there's there's other impacts of oil. Um, oil can undermine domestic institutions in a country, um, what comparative politics what comparative politics people often call the resource curse. Um, and that has implications for foreign policy too. It makes foreign policy in oil-rich states very personalistic, very centralized, very prone to making errors and judgments. And again, I, you know, I think that's something that we're seeing today in the Russian war in Ukraine. Um, and oil wealth can be used in a variety of different ways in a conflict, right? It can be used to prop up your currency if you're under international sanctions, for example. It can be used to fund proxies in other states like the Russians have been doing in Ukraine for the last um, 10 or so years. And so there's all these different ways that oil interacts with conflict, um, even if that classic idea of states go to war to seize oil turns out to be mostly a myth. So it sounds like the Russia's invasion of Ukraine has pretty much kind of followed the textbook that you anticipate in your book. Is that accurate? To be honest, I was actually kind of surprised because in the book, um, Russia is among the cases where I said, you know, the, the country is fairly well developed and pretty institutionalized. And so the impacts of the resource curse on foreign policy, on military effectiveness shouldn't be as bad. Um, so I was actually quite surprised by how poorly the Russian military performed. Um, but yeah, I, I think this war in Ukraine reminds me most closely of Saddam Hussein's um, wars, you know, his decision to start the Iran-Iraq war in the 1980s, uh, his decision to invade Kuwait in 1990. Um, you know, the, Putin's decision-making process seems to look a, a lot like that. I've so, been really, oh, sorry. I've been really struck by even Putin's language when he initially uh, started the invasion is very similar to Saddam's language before he invaded Iraq 
or Kuwait in 1990. And, and I agree with you that I think that those conflicts had a lot more to do with Iraq's status as an oil producer uh, than any Iraqi desire to actually grab uh, its neighbor's oil resources. So, I mean, one of the things that I think this conflict is really highlighting is just how intertwined the oil and gas markets are with questions of international security. And obviously, this is something we've both worked on for, for a number of years. But I was wondering, you know, what are your big takeaways here about why oil and gas matter for security? Um, I think one takeaway, related takeaway, is what's really struck me about this case is that um, is the ways that this is really sort of an artificial scarcity in the sense that, you know, we've been worried about Russia cutting off supplies of oil and gas to Europe, but I don't think people really prepared for the idea that uh, Europe might want to stop buying Russian oil and gas. And so I think that oil and gas are still, the markets are still critical to geopolitics, but we're seeing a, a new twist on those developments. Um, what about you? What are your takeaways in terms of, of significance of oil and energy markets for global geopolitics? Well, so one of the other things I talk about in the book, actually, is the oil weapon and the notion that states that are big producers can use the threat of shutoffs to compel other states to, to do what they want. Um, and my conclusion in the book is it's actually not that effective. There's there's very few places where the dependence is so absolute where markets can't fix the problem. Um, but I never envisaged a situation like the one we're seeing now, where we're talking about basically the entire West refusing to buy energy energy from one of the world's biggest producers. You know, that is not the standard scenario that was envisaged when we talked about these things. So I, I think this is quite a big change. 